0: This podcast was made possible by the generous support of our Patreon patrons. They provide us with the resources we need to produce each episode. You can join them at 90milesfromneedles.com slash Patreon.
1: The sun is a giant blowtorch aimed at your face. There ain't no shade nowhere. Let's hope you brought enough water. It's time for 90 Miles from Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast with your hosts Chris Clark and Alicia Pike.
2: Press that once. Wait for about 10 seconds to make sure that you didn't accidentally press it twice because it'll go off after 10 seconds when you press it again, and that looks fine, and so you put it on hold like that. Okay.
0: I'm going to start checking this thing before every hike, now that you've showed me yeah. that a second time. After our last hike, where we thought we recorded all this good stuff.
2: Yeah. No, <laughs> it would have been really good for, a, know your capabilities when you're hiking in a 103-degree weather episode, which and we I, still need to do.
0: Then I did have a good diatribe on nature stuff there in the waterfall. Yeah. I had a good moment there.
2: One of the conversations that we thought we were recording <laughs> the other day, that didn't actually end up being recorded. You asked me a question that I couldn't answer.
0: Yeah, Chris, how do you take it easy? How do you rest? How do you play? Do No, I believe the question was, do you? Do you play? Yep. And I know you do, but I don't think you do nearly enough.
2: It's a tough question for me because I have lived my entire life avoiding work in the sense of, doing things for money that I didn't like doing. Yeah, There's that aphorism, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm doing what I love. And I'm doing a whole lot of what I love. (laughs) And I'm doing what I love for a good 10 hours on a slow day.
0: The recorder can't pick up how big Alicia's eyes are getting right now. Like, Chris, you can't. Work 10 hours a day and kid yourself into thinking that just because you love it, that that's good for you.
2: Yep. No, I mean, that's what I'm thinking about.
0: <laughs> so tell me how you occupy these 10 hours every day at a minimum. What are you working on with all this time?
2: Trying to keep Cadiz from mining water out of the Mojave Desert. Keeping next era energy from putting a hydroelectric plant in one of the driest parts of the world and using groundwater for a hydroelectric plant. Two different campaigns about new national monuments and on the board of the Amargosa Conservancy. I'm on the board of the Mojave National Preserve Conservancy and a couple other organizations doing this podcast.
0: Nobody can see how smirking sad I look right now listening to Chris describe all these things that he does.
2: Should we take a picture and put it in the show notes? (laughs)
0: No, I look my worst when I'm frowning. I just, I, I feel like that must be such a weight on your soul. And I know we've talked to so many people about how they get by doing hard work to protect the environment, but, ugh.
2: What is it, two weeks since we had that conversation? Yeah. And it's been at the top of my mind since. And I'm thinking about it. There are a couple of things that I definitely have done as play recreation relaxation in the last couple of years hiking being one of them and i can't always get away to do it i have played guitar or there's a banjo sitting unused in my living room as you know
0: mm-hmm. i think i heard you play it once and lara did give me some recordings of you playing so ah i have that
2: i'll have to speak to her about that <laughs> and now unless Every listener gives $300 to our Patreon. We will include those recordings in the
1: podcast.
0: (laughs) But I think what we're getting at here is ensuring that you take enough time to soothe and nourish your soul, no matter what you do for a living. And I think for those of us who throw time and effort into the conservation world, You, by far more than me, it may be harder to take the time to just go out into nature because you're in nature all the time for work, which I can only imagine how confusing that might be for your system because you're there in these amazing places, but you're there for a fight. You're there to gain solidarity and to create momentum and to send a message to save something, to steward something. And so you may think to yourself, well, I got that time I was out in Bonanza Spring and I showed all these people, but you're talking about some depressing ass shit and you're fighting to save Mm
1: -hmm. something
0: that should not be at peril. And that must be such, I I feel it from this podcast, it's such a weight to, to balance it out with the cleansing in nature that has nothing to do with the work that you do. I imagine that that can be hard to do. I have a very difficult time separating my feelings about advocacy and conservation and the fight to steward the earth in a responsible manner. That is very difficult to shake off when I come out here. And when I can shake it off and feel like a kid who came home from school early because school got let out because of flash flood warning, let's say, Mm -hmm. desert style, you better get home before all the roads go out. And it's like, all you have to do with your time is to go out and play. And I feel like we've really lost touch with that as adults because we grind so hard all yep. the time.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do get that feeling of connection. Even if I walk out into the yard and I see a cinchweed blooming, there's, yeah. there's that connection. and That's a really wonderful thing. And sometimes, I don't know, we just it's been a hard couple of years for everybody. You know, it's been a hard, much more than a couple of years for a lot of people. And sometimes it, you get into states where it's not going to get fixed by seeing a horny toad. No. You know. I had a conversation with my friend Matt recently about a couple other things. Work-related. In fact, I was on this phone call with this guy I really, really like, and we were talking about unpleasant work stuff.
0: An example how it percolates into every... Nook and cranny of your life.
2: Yep. And it was a pleasant conversation. I love talking to Matt, but you know, we were talking about work. And then I said, Hey, listen, on a personal note, I'm just having some trouble. And I wonder if you have a place in the desert where you think it might be good to go and just get restored. If you happen to think of any in the next few weeks, just let me know, because I could really use it. And he said, I don't have to think about it at all. You should come to the river.
0: And if you need to let your intense worry and sadness, fear, distress, work, life, grind, go, the river is a great place to watch all of that junk flow away from you. Nature has a spirit, just like we were talking earlier. It has energy, and it soothes you. It takes care of you. It is medicine. But we're losing that connection, that respite, and that solace from the grind that we created for ourselves to make things easier has now only come with its own bag of troubles. Take me to the river!
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know that's making it in. (laughs) about 25 years ago i was lying on my stomach on a sandbar with my head hanging over the water on the green river upstream of its confluence with the colorado by a couple hundred miles in a place called island park in dinosaur national monument it was a warm summer day my then wife and our then dog and i had been driving for weeks On a trip around the country and we were happy to have an afternoon to just laze around and not drive anywhere there wasn't a cloud in the sky that day as i lay there on my stomach watching the surface of the water the water striders and the little fish i noticed something on the bottom four or five inches down the action of the water had cause the sand on the river bottom to ripple. It's a familiar pattern, you know what it looks like. A sinuous set of ripples, parallel curves, more or less perpendicular to the flow of current. And I could watch the ripples move ever so slowly as water pushed the sand grains off the top of each ridge, down into the trough beyond, and then scoop neighboring sand grains out of the trough Deposited them on the next ridge down. There was something else going on, too. There were darker grains of sand. And these little tiny black specks would wash down into the troughs and collect in the troughs and... arcuate, almost calligraphic lines that were constantly moving, constantly shifting. There was part of me that was certain if I just stared long enough I would figure out what those writings said what the river was trying to get me to read. That beloved dog is long dead. That marriage ended amicably a couple decades ago. Everything changes in life. But here I am still trying to read the river. This time without the splash of beaver tail or a friendly coyote looking dog. From this point, where I sit on the Ahacab Tribal Preserve south of Parker, Arizona, maybe 1,300 miles from the watershed's headwaters in the Wind River Range of Wyoming, the water I watch past me here is cumulative drainage from a quarter million square miles of the western United States, from snow melt in Wyoming and Colorado and Utah, New Mexico, From subterranean desert rivers flowing beneath the ground in Nevada and California. And from a little of each in Arizona. A quarter million square miles of drainage basin. It seems like there should be more water here. There is so little water in this river that I can hear the pebbles moving on the riverbed hitting against each other. imagine I can hear darker grains of sand hitting lighter grains of sand as the river moves them along. On another trip at the bottom of the Grand Canyon I sat battling heat exhaustion ten feet away from Bright Angel Creek. It was May 2005 and the north rim was under eight feet of snow but down on the bottom of the canyon it was triple digits and I had stayed in the Sun too long. The only thing that kept me from sticking myself up to the waist in Bright Angel Creek, and getting that good cold snow melt water on my femoral arteries, cooling down my blood, bringing myself back to something resembling normal, or as close to it as I ever get, was a repeated sound at irregular intervals of one rock hitting another rock with a loud crack under the water in that creek. The water was racing down the creek and it was bringing really big rocks with it and they were hitting each other on their way down the remaining hundred yards to the Colorado River. Of course, the chance that any of the sand grains from 1996 on the Green River in Utah or any of the splinters of collided boulders from 2005 in Arizona on Bright Angel Creek have made it as far as where I sit here in Parker, Arizona, is vanishingly small. There are few rivers in the U.S. that are as thoroughly dammed as the Colorado. Very few rivers in the U.S. that have as much silt trapped behind giant concrete walls as the Colorado. Even here, some miles downstream from Parker Dam, the whole river is silting up. The whole river is in chains. The river is so thoroughly controlled that there are no floods to scour the silt and the silt has built up below the dam as well beautiful island of tulies and cattails across from me. It looks absolutely gorgeous. An island of bright green in the middle of the water. And there should be no such thing in the middle of the Colorado River. On the banks, certainly. In the oxbows and the bays and the sidewashes and the low-lying spots on the riverbank. Plenty of spots for tulies and cattails and arrowweed on the floodplain of the Colorado, but what is a flood plan on a river that no longer floods? A little bit of education about how the environment works can destroy really beautiful settings in your mind. This is beautiful. It shouldn't be here and it's beautiful. The Arundo, 10 feet tall, waving in the wind. It shouldn't be here and it's beautiful. I guess the trick is to learn how to love carpets of dead red brome grass in between the Joshua trees the tulies and the silted up islands in Mid-River, the eucalyptus trees, the murmurations of starlings. There's some things we can restore right here, but there are some things that are changed forever and we can help them become part of an ecosystem. But we can only do that if we see that they're beautiful. It will happen. It will happen at some point. Those dams will come out. I mean, we could take them out. We could remove them it would cost a lot less than it cost to put them in but it would still be expensive it would be politically unpopular We'd have to drain the reservoirs first i mean unless we wanted to evacuate every living person all the way downstream but it could be done i doubt that we will do it but it will happen the river has sawn through way more formidable obstacles than these flimsy little thumbnail dams at some point in the late Cenozoic there was a lava flow that built a dam on the Colorado Was 500 or 600 feet high it was almost as high as Hoover Dam but it was a lot thicker possibly as much as a quarter-mile or a half-mile thick created a huge lake that was there for thousands of years and all that's left of that dam is a very popular rapid for whitewater rafters in the Grand Canyon called Lava Falls. The river took that dam out. The river's going to take these dams out. We have changed the climate. We've ensured that mega drops will be the new normal, but there will still be storms, and they will be way less predictable, and some of them will be way more violent, and they will throw rocks up against the dams. They will churn and swirl and erode the sidewalls. If nothing else, the reservoirs will silt up all together and then what's left for the river but to flow over the top of these dams. These dams will be gone, the river will come back. This river is temporarily encumbered. I find that reassuring. You will eventually stop fucking with this river. And in the meantime, even in its encumbered and depauperate state, this is a beautiful river with its tulies, and it's tamarisk, it's cat tails and it's a rundo. It's yellow throats and Wilson's warblers and gray-tailed grackles and it's starlings and it's pigeons. This is a beautiful place. I can feel my blood pressure dropping. There it goes. I'm gonna spend a little time trying to figure out what the river is trying to tell me. I may or may not report back. So the bad news is that going to the river did not cure me permanently.
0: Nor should you have believed that it would.
2: I didn't. But I kind of felt like we were setting this up to be one of those episodes where this miraculous thing happens and fixes everything and happy ending. And
0: When you take an ibuprofen and the pain goes away and then it wears off and comes back. That's what we're talking about.
2: Yep. That's exactly what we're talking about. And the good news is it did help. I spent a few hours listening to the Colorado flowing and it smelled and looked like the creeks I knew as a kid, warm algae-ridden water. This immediately smelled like home. And listening to the birds the warblers and the yellow throats, it it was restorative and it was a place that we will have to go back to and talk to somebody from the reservation that's doing the management of the preserve. It's a really cool project in the middle of development Ground Zero. And they have a lot of problems with the land and they're working on ways to address them. And and I deliberately didn't pay attention to much of that on this trip because that is, that's work. And I was going there to see what was there and listen to the birds in the river and the wind blowing through the giant reed grass and look at the rocks.
0: Well, that's a good point. We have to consciously make the decision to be absorbed in nature and allow ourselves to be present in nature without thinking about all that other stuff. Nature mm-hmm. has so much to say, and I think we're rarely quiet enough to listen even though we're in tune and we're trying to save her.
2: Thanks for sitting out here with me while I work this out in my head.
0: Yeah. We've all got to take more time to play, less time hustling. It's We're cheating ourselves if we don't, especially those of us who take such tender joy in nature. To deprive ourselves of that in an effort to fight to save her seems really dark.
2: Well, thanks for calling me out on that. And I will take you to the river with me next time <laughs> I go. Oh.
0: Always down to go to the river.
1: Coming up next, we read some good news and your letters. Hello, I'm Petey Mosquiti, host of Growing Native from KXCI Tucson. Each week since 1992, I've been sharing stories, poems, and songs about flora, fauna, family, and the glory of living in the borderlands of southern Arizona. Recent episodes of Growing Native are available at kxci.org, Apple Podcasts, and PRX. The desert is beautiful, my friends. Yeah, it is. Do
2: you have a desert-related podcast, or website, or newsletter, or something similar that you'd like us to promote? Let us know. 760-392-1996.
1: You're listening to 90 Miles from Needles, the desert protection podcast. No step on snake. We are back.
2: We love hearing from you here at 90 Miles from Needles. We like to hear your feedback on what we're doing. Plus, it's nice to know that we're not releasing these episodes out into the void to echo forever in the nothingness of cold, dark space. We like getting responses. And we got one in our email on the 10th of September, 2022, with an attached photo of two pretty good-looking guys smiling at the camera. They're standing in what seems to be an industrial barn of some sort. And the letter that accompanies that photo says, Hi, Alicia and Chris. Two people who support the 90 Miles from Needles podcast happen to rub shoulders 503 miles from needles today. We are, from right to left, that's referring to the photo that was attached to the email. We are, from right to left, P.D. Mosquiti and Chuck George. P.D. was the keynote speaker today at a community event called Heritage Days, held in Rodeo, New Mexico, put on by people who were concerned about the high desert between the Chiricahuas and the Pioncio Mountains, much like the Mojave. The Chihuahuan Desert here needs protecting, with threats like mining, water rights, dark sky threats, drought, and border walls. Chuck continues, I am sure you have mixed feelings about canceling the camp out, but maybe you got a nice dose of hurricane precipitation in your neck of the woods. Looking forward to hanging out with you someday, maybe planting Joshua trees or camping out. That sounds really good, Chuck, and thanks for sending that letter along with a great picture. Nice to see you guys' faces. We are, of course, big fans of PD's podcast, Growing Native which is why we give them that free ad that non-Patreon listeners get to hear on occasion. And, yeah, we definitely need to get out to the Chihuahuan Desert. Sounds like a place that could use a little bit of amplification and support. And also, yeah, we did have mixed feelings about canceling the camp out, especially since it turned out that it was approximately ideal weather for camping out. Despite or possibly because of a little bit of rain here and there. It was ironic, I will admit. But we are going to be rescheduling and the campout will take place sometime in 2023, probably in the first half. In a month that promises to have somewhat less tempestuous weather than we were expecting this past month and somewhat more amenable temperature for hanging out in the desert. Though, again, ironically, it would have been hard to beat the weekend that it was scheduled for just for overall comfort. So Chuck, it's great to hear from you. We welcome your letters. Send them to chris at 90milesfromneedles.com or Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, at 90milesfromneedles.com. A couple other things I wanted to bring up. put out a press release in my day job in which I work as the Ruth Hammett Associate Director of the California Desert Program for the National Parks Conservation Association, which is neither affiliated nor connected with this podcast, and NPCA does not endorse this podcast, though there are some staff people at NPCA that like listening to it. Hey folks. Anyway, this is a press release on a campaign I've been working on for the last five years with NPCA, and honestly for about 15 before that, and it goes a little something like Federal Court Throws Out Pipeline Permit for Cadiz Water Project, September 14, 2022, 29 Palms, California. A federal court today ruled to scrap an important pipeline permit for the controversial Cadiz water mining project, siding with the Biden administration and tribal communities. The project threatened to drain the Mojave Desert of 16 billion gallons of water annually. An unsustainable outflow, the plaintiffs asserted, would have disastrous impact on tribal nations, local communities, and nearby protected lands like Mojave Trails National Monument and Mojave National Preserve. The court's ruling vacates the pipeline rights of way issued to Cadiz and grants the BLM's motion for voluntary remand following a lawsuit by the Native American Land Conservancy and the National Parks Conservation Association. The pipeline rights of way were issued to Cadiz by the BLM in the last days of the Trump administration. What the press release doesn't mention, for a number of good reasons, is that the person running the BLM in those days was Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt, who stands to gain personally, and significantly, if the Cadiz Project goes through. Anyway, you can read the entire press release at npca.org, but I'll read the two quotes that were included. This court ruling blocks the Cadiz Project from harming the sacred ancestral lands and water sources that tribal peoples in the California desert region depend greatly on for their spiritual and cultural practices and way of life, said Michael J. Madreville, president of the Native American Land Conservancy. We thank the Biden administration for its support and for recognizing that our peoples have been here since the beginning of time and that we continue to visit, gather, and utilize these special areas in the desert for our cultural survival. Quote number two, because it's my podcast and I can, Cadiz has failed to materialize for decades because it would be a major environmental justice disaster, inflicting harm on tribal nations in California, communities that are already feeling the impacts of drought and climate change, said Chris Clark of NPCA again, npca.org, for the full text of that press release. This is some long-overdue good news, thanks in no small part to the UC Irvine Environmental Law Clinic, which continues to represent Native American Land Conservancy and NPCA in the suit. Hats off to them. We are going to have to do an episode on Cadiz. For people that are new to the topic, since sometime in the late 1980s, Cadiz has been trying to pump groundwater out of the one of the driest places on the planet, to sell that water for profit. We are going to have to prepare that episode very carefully, because Cadiz is quick on the trigger with complaints and cease and desist letters and that kind of thing. Uh, Ask me how I know from my various previous different jobs. That said, I think it's safe to say that, in general, Cadiz represents some of the most (laughs) conniving blatantly hollowed-out shells of human beings giving venal people a bad name with no more morals than a penguin bothering in the world. I think that's fair. Cadiz is just an idea that's so stupendously bad it could only come from the water world in the West. Let's see what else we got. Now Chuck wished us some very good luck with a post-hurricane moisture and We did get some here in Joshua Tree in 29. That's looking pretty good around here. More on that in a minute. Uh, Quick PSA though, I keep seeing people online talking about the trips they have planned to parks in the southwest, including Death Valley and Mojave National Preserve, both of which are more or less closed. We keep getting updates from those parks, and while Death Valley has some of its core features open, you know, those things that people generally really want to see when they go to a park like that, Getting in and out of the park and getting around the park is extremely difficult at this point because some critical roads are closed. This is not just true in the California desert parks. Grand Canyon Parish has had some significant road closings, including the road to the Pacoon Springs area, which is one of my favorite remote places in the Mojave that nobody's ever heard of. Although if you Google Pacoon, P-A-K-O-O-N, and alligator, you'll come up with something interesting. Mojave National Preserve is basically closed entirely for the next few months. And what I'm saying is, if you have a trip like this planned, check before you leave. Go to nps.gov, find the park you're thinking of visiting, go to that park's website, click on a link that says news or road conditions or alerts or something like that, and find out what you're actually going to be able to do in these parks, if anything, when you visit. Because a lot of parks and monuments and other places around the southwest have been hammered by this monsoon season. Now, in a sense, that's bad news for land managers because they're going to have to spend money they don't really have to repair the roads so that gawkers like you and me can come in and take pictures of ourselves in front of stuff. The good news is rain is food. Rain is food in the desert, anyway. Rain is food for desert tortoises because they'll come out and eat the annuals that come up in the wake of a rainstorm. Often in spring, but summer and fall annuals work for them too. Rain is food for desert bighorn. The acacias and a lot of the other desert legumes are leafing out nicely. And they are sheep chow. We're going to see some, I'm not going to say fat because they have a couple of years of drought to catch up on, but we're going to see some pretty healthy bighorn sheep in the next couple of years, I'd say dry woodland trees are looking really good. I spent a little time the other day sitting underneath an ironwood tree over in the California section of the Sonoran Desert. It looked pretty damn glorious. Ironwood has really become one of my favorite trees. And speaking of things responding to monsoonal moisture, the recording session with Alicia and me that you heard in this episode took place in a spot in Joshua Tree National Park, blessed by the presence of hundreds, actually certainly thousands, of red-spotted toads. Red-spotted toads are really fascinating little critters. Widespread throughout the deserts of the southwest. Some places it might as well be desert. They can live in really, really dry country as long as there's some water some of the time. They need water to lay their eggs, and they need that water to stick around long enough for those eggs to hatch into tadpoles, and then for those tadpoles to survive to adulthood, which really isn't that long a time, maybe a couple of weeks in general. A fully grown red-spotted toad will run around an inch and a half to three inches long, but when they've just turned into adults from being tadpoles and come out of the water, they're way smaller. Imagine being in the desert and seeing the ground covered with deer flies, except you look closer and the deer flies turn out to be shaped like frogs and uh, acting like frogs. And in fact, they turn out to be frogs or toads, tiny, tiny, tiny toads. Some of them are small enough to be eaten by small lizards. Which, honestly, is probably happening right this second. Well, we had to watch where we stepped in Joshua Tree National Park in that spot because there were so many red-spotted toads all around. Probably, if we stepped at random, one step in five would have squished one. We didn't want to do that. It's a good reminder. Even in a landscape that looks really durable even in a landscape that looks like there's nothing there except sand and gravel and boulders and things with spines, there is delicate life that is counting on us to step carefully, to look closely, to pay attention, and, ideally, to speak up in defense of that delicate life in the desert. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening visit our Patreon site at 90milesfromneedles.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N or if you just want to give us a one-time quick tip or the price of a cup of coffee or a one-time grant of several thousand dollars you can go to 90milesfromneedles.com slash K-O-F-I to find our Kofi site where we are raising funds to our freelance journalists to contribute to this podcast
1: Thanks for joining us Stay well The desert needs you. This episode of 90 Miles from Needles was produced by Alicia Pike and Chris Clark. Editing by Chris. Podcast artwork by the remarkable Martine Mancha. Theme music is by Brightside Studio. Other music by Slip Scream. Follow us on Twitter or on Instagram and at 90MIFromNeedles and on Facebook at facebook.com slash 90MilesFromNeedles. Listen to us at 90MilesFromNeedles.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Colorado River Indian Tribes. Thanks as well to our newest Patreon supporter, John Norris. Support this podcast by visiting Visiting us at 90 miles from Needles.com Patreon and making a monthly pledge of as little as five bucks. Or visit 90 milesfromneedles.com slash KOFI to make a one-time contribution. Our supporters enjoy privileges including early access to this episode. Crucial support for this podcast came from Tad Coffin and Laura Roselle. All characters on this podcast can't remember your name. Cause there ain't no one for the give you no pain. This is Bouse Parker reminding you to stop and smell the choyas. See you next time.
2: Sit, heart, sit,
1: good dog.